Welcome to Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast with Elizabeth Crawford, where I dish with trendsetters, tastemakers, and industry experts about everything from emerging trends to regulatory pressures to marketing strategies. While some food and beverage brands have enjoyed tremendous growth following the coronavirus outbreak, others have been completely pummeled by government and consumer response to the virus revealing a disparate division that could provide a roadmap for navigating the rest of the pandemic and the inevitable economic downturn that will follow. According to Jeff Grog, the managing director of the leading food and beverage innovation and commercialization group, JPG Resources, whether a company has fared well or not so far during the pandemic depends on where it sits in the competitive landscape, what it offers, and existing relationships with buyers, suppliers, and co-manufacturers, and how brand leaders reacted to the coronavirus immediately before and during the initial outbreak. In this episode of Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast, Grog breaks down each of these components and how they relate to companies' chances of survival during the pandemic including insights on what is and isn't currently selling, how to either meet increased demand or handle a drop in sales, and how to work with stressed out buyers and other partners across industry to make the most of the current situation. He also shares insights on how investors are evaluating the current and long-term market potential for food and beverage brands and advice for how to prepare for and weather an economic downturn that likely will last longer than that pandemic. As with everything else with COVID-19 has touched, the virus's impact on food and beverage industry has been uneven and unpredictable, making it difficult to characterize the state of the current market, because as Grog notes, the traditional market forces no longer seem to be in play. We just came out of sort of an unprecedented boom time for innovation in food. in the early 2000s were pretty good, and we thought that was, you know, a pretty high watermark. And then the recession came in in 2008, 9, and uh, poured cold water on things for a while. But then, you know, this last decade has been a go-go time for emerging brands, uh, for funding uh, pouring into the food industry. Um, and, you know, it just seemed like there was this... Uh, you know, bull market type of thing that was, you know, paralleling or exceeding what's going on in the Dow Jones. I mean, it was, it's been a fantastically good time for, to be in, uh, to be launching new brands in food and beverage. Um, and it came to sort of a, a, a screeching disruption that nobody saw coming um, in, in, you know, the early part of this year. So, it's uh, similar in that, you know, a hot market's always going to cool, but I don't think anybody's seen a market shift this fast. Now, on the plus side, a lot of brands are seeing, even small brands, uh, seeing extraordinary sales at this time. Others are getting uh, pummeled or are getting put off the shelf or, you know, their big plans for expansion this year are delayed indefinitely. Uh, so it's a very... In a recession, also, you tend to have sort of big picture, uh, broad impact of, well, you know, money's harder to come by and everything slows down a little and things retract. And it's always uneven, but I think this is more remarkably uneven where some brands are down by half and other brands are up by 3x. Um, so, you know, I, I think it's just that, that sort of the normal market forces aren't in play. 
and things change so rapidly. Um, and so it's hard to speak about the market uh, because the, the, the impact is so disparate. The uneven impact of the coronavirus can be seen across categories in the grocery store, as well as between players in the same segment. Depending on how well established they were before the virus hit, how quickly company leaders reacted to the outbreak, and what resources were available to them before the pandemic began. Um, so it's not like everything in the grocery store is uniformly up. Um, I mentioned bars earlier, some other portable snacks. Um, what we're hearing is, you know, smaller portion sizes aren't moving as well. Certainly, uh, candy and chocolates haven't haven't uh, moved as much, although they seem to have picked up recently a little more. Um, you know, so it's just not uniform in that sense either. Uh, you know, when people were talking about, you know, whole aisles emptied, uh, you could go over to the candy aisle and it was, you know, it looked like a normal day. Um, so, you know, I, I think there's disparate impact based on the product and the, and the pack. Certainly, I think a lot of smaller brands who are aching for trial are, you know, it just depends. Uh, some are getting trial because they're the only thing left on the shelf, and that could be great for them. Um, others may be uh, not getting trial if they're in a slow-moving category and people are in and out of the store. They're not perusing uh, the shelves at all. They're just getting what they want, and they're out. Um, so there's, again, disparate impact based on category. Um, and then finally, you know, there's a lot of brands that also have significant food service sales. Um, and, you know, as we're all well aware, that's a, a disaster zone right now. Um, you know, we have a, I'm on the board at The Safe Lives, and uh, we have significant exposure to Starbucks. And, and uh, with them shutting all their stores, it's having a significant impact on revenue. Um, so, you know, anything with, uh, with, you know, a lot of brands play both sides, which is generally a great strategy. But right now, food service overall is, is tough. For those brands fortunate enough to be in high demand categories or to generate trial based solely on the virtue of being on store shelves, their ability to take advantage of those upsides has hinged in large part on their ability to attain and maintain inventories. Grog advises brands to build up an inventory of two to four weeks if possible to ensure that they can meet retailer and consumer demand and also protect against the risk that a co-manufacturer might need to temporarily close due to illness. There are a lot of brands who waited too long to boost their inventory. I mean, right away, we started advising companies, get long on inventory, get two to four weeks long, uh, because you there's you want to be able to take advantage of upside if it comes, and you want to protect against maybe your command goes down for a little bit because of illness or whatever. And, you know, some brands uh, were all over it, and they – um, also, if they had good proactive sales teams and good conversations with retailers, you know, they were able to take advantage of the boost. Uh, others, you know, found themselves at the tail, the tail end of their co-man's uh, priority list. Uh, so some of it's planning, some of it's just, you know, how important were you in the manufacturing scheme uh, and were you able to get, get things made. The co-packers are generally all running. Everybody, everybody we know is trying to run. Uh, certainly, our plant is operating. And uh, but you never know when you're going to have an illness in a facility, and it might get shut down for two weeks or three weeks or who knows. Uh, and we have seen that. We've seen sort of rolling 
outages. You know, everybody's heard about the meat plants, but we've heard of bakeries and other places that have, have been shut down um, because of illness. And, you know, that two-week period is going to be highly disruptive to some brands, and maybe it's three or four weeks. Um, we've not heard of contract manufacturers going under yet during this time, but not to say there won't be. Um, so, you know, that's part of that advice we've been giving to carry some extra inventory so if there is a disruption, then you can weather it better. Uh, we've also talked about this is a good time. If you haven't already, uh, it's a good time to start building a redundancy option um, and at least know who you would call if your plant goes down. Uh, we just did a production run yesterday for a brand who was not able to get service from their current co-man. And, uh, you know, in a two-week period, they worked with us, and we were able to get them into our plant and get them stocked with production. Um, but we've had a long relationship with those people, and, and so it was easy to uh, make that happen. So I think it's just one of those where brands are going to have to be thoughtful about their supply chain. They should be spending money um, on being a little bit, having inventory flexibility, not get crazy long because this is going to taper at some point, but it's not going to taper as fast as it ramped up. You know, the, as if you have two or four weeks of extra inventory on a product with a nine or 12 month shelf life, that should not put you at any substantial risk. So that's where we think sort of the sweet spot is. Uh, if you're short shelf life, if you have 30 days or 90 days, that's a little harder to manage. Um, but, you know, the majority of, of companies that are in this space so have are either frozen or shelf-stable and have shelf life where they can manage a little more inventory flexibility. Um, I mean, as far as right now, I think the uh, inventories have largely normalized, except in some of the super high demand categories like flour and yeast. Um, but there are certainly brands who are just who got deprioritized at the retail level too. And there are certainly categories, uh, portable snacks, bars, other things where there's, you know, retraction or lack of growth compared to uh, some of the other staple categories that maybe weren't so sexy uh, six months ago. Nobody wanted to write an article about yeast and <laughs> now it's front page news. As the pandemic wears on, consumers' patience and risk tolerance for grocery shopping in stores is wearing down resulting in them angling more for established brands they know and trust, rather than exploring the aisles for new products. But as Grog noted, they will buy what's available, which means if emerging brands have products on the shelf in high-demand categories, chances are high that they'll end up in shoppers' carts. The trick is getting on the shelf at a time when many buyers are scrambling to keep stores stocked while simultaneously working from home. To break through, Grog recommends approaching buyers with ears open and their needs, not yours, in mind. It's a time to be a good listener and not just go in with your deck and pound away at what you want and what you need and you know, <laughs> and how your brand is so special. I think it's really a time to go in and say, hey, you know, we think our brand meets this consumer need and meets your needs and how do we do this together, but really to be a listener to the, to the buyer. And, you know, what? if the buyer's telling you they don't really want to hear from you right now, you know, maybe uh, maybe don't just go away for a month, but maybe, you know, be be thoughtful about that, too. The buyers have been under a lot of pressure. 
Um, they're not picking up very many new items. It's not to say none. We do have clients who are still launching in June. Uh, but, uh, you know, I think it's just a relationship. Uh, uh, people talk about a selling relationship, but it's only a real relationship if you're listening to what the needs are on both sides. And so hopefully uh, brands have the um, EQ to be able to have those kinds of discussions with their buyers about, hey, what's the market need? What should I be doing? How do we help make sure you're maximizing your opportunities as the retailer? Um, you know, certainly, I think generally putting focus on your bigger ideas and bigger opportunities and not not pushing on your seventh flavor variant and all that stuff is is sort of the norm right now. But I think um, overall, um, just understanding where your buyer is coming from and your Costco buyer and your Walmart buyer and your Whole Foods buyer, they're not all in the same boat. You know, they're all finding their own way through it in different ways. And so maybe more than ever, you need to listen to those specifics of each uh, buyer's um, scenario. Getting on new store shelves often requires additional money to pay slotting fees, cover promotions, and of course, manufacture sufficient products. Even under the best of circumstances, this can be a tall order for emerging brands with limited cash flow. But Grog warns coming up with extra money now may not be possible. He explains that many investors are hitting pause on new deals and asking existing partners to rein in their spending, even if it means sacrificing growth. Investors in times of trouble, uh, again, whether it's the stock market or, or investing in emerging brands, when there's lack of clarity, uh, money gets tight. Everybody clings to what they have. Investors are less willing to uh, invest in new brands. You know, a lot of investors are just saying, hey, you know, call me back in three months or six months. I'm, I'm not going to – I need more visibility before I even think about investing. Um, so that's going to have a follow-on effect in a lot of ways. And a lot of brands need money right now. And we're counting on raising money this summer, and that's going to, you know, that's going to be tough. Brands that have good investors and who have been performing well will probably get more money from their incumbent investors. So, you know, and I just talked to somebody yesterday who um, was a, an investor actually who said, you know, we were planning uh, on behalf of this company, we were all planning on doing a big round this summer. Uh, instead, we're just going to sort of re-up the ones who are already involved. They're just going to re-up at a smaller number to make it through this time. So, you know, the, the investors who are already involved uh, should be the first place you look to just step up and, and maybe get you a six-month bridge until things re, re-normalize. Um, but, yeah, if you're going out and you have been bleeding cash and you've just been spending like crazy and you're a long way from any kind of financial sustainability and your current investors don't have the capability or the stomach to uh, to help you survive this time, I would say you're in big trouble. Um, you know, that I think is the issue of, uh, it's not the investor money is not there, but they're, they're in protection mode, they're also protecting where they already are. There's not a lot that are looking for new deals right now. Unfortunately, the lack of funding means not all food and beverage brands will survive the pandemic. Grog warns that those most at risk are the ones just starting out. Where are you going to find really high levels of attrition are brands that are between 
you know, that have just started and are maybe less than a couple million bucks and who are in that boat of being quite a ways from profitability. They're funded by angels. They're not somebody they can necessarily go back and get significant operating funds from. Um, you know, that, that I think is you're going to see big attrition in that space uh, because companies will just run out of money. Um, I think one, the, once you get up to $5 million plus, um, if they're performing well, I think their investors will probably stand behind them. They, they're probably going to ask, them, ask brands to lean out and to uh, bleed less cash and maybe sacrifice some growth unless it's just funding uh, replenishment. I mean, I think investors are always pretty willing to fund replenishment if you've got growth um, that, especially now, when it should be efficient, um, that's great. But they may pull back on supporting slotting and on, you know, expensive growth like that. Um, so I think attrition is going to be high at the smaller end where there's more funding issues and it's going to be, uh, you're going to see brands that just, um, don't have operating cash or don't have relationships, uh, to carry them through this time. While this financial forecast is grim, Grog says there is the potential of a buyout or consolidation by investors. He acknowledges that this may not be what founders had in mind for an ideal world, but he encourages them to consider it as a viable option. After all, an exit's an exit. I do think there's going to be some, uh, there always is, that counter uh, trend folks who are going to say this is a good time to roll up some companies. Uh, so if their companies are relatively healthy and just have cash issues, uh, you know, I think we know some investors who are interested in that right now and are still uh, actively on the hunt. Uh, but those are more like control acquisitions or control transactions as opposed to minority investments. So I think we'll see probably more of that uh, safety and moving on to a larger platform um, or maybe a control transaction instead of as much minority investment. I mean, if uh, if you're a, a few million dollars and you're reasonably close to profitability and uh, or maybe you aren't profitable um, and you're just struggling, um, you know, if there's a reason that can be solved with money or some added talent or whatever uh, that somebody can see putting a brand into a, a larger platform, you know, I mean, that's what VMG is searching for, frankly. Um, you know, with their new platform concept, and I think a number of other investors are looking in that kind of space as well. Um, you know, to be clear, I think most of these kind of investors are looking for a portfolio that operates at a profit. That is, they're not just looking to double down on money-losing brands, um, but if they feel like they can put some of these brands into uh, an agglomeration of three, four, five uh, brands that make sense together, um, run by, by one team, maybe some vertical integration with manufacturing. You know, I think that kind of thinking is going to, um, is an option that brands may want to consider. And, you know, it's one of those, to your point, uh, the, the founder may not get the big-time exit they had in mind, but better to get an exit than none. Uh, and I think in many cases, you know, maybe you don't have to sell the whole company and maybe you end up as a fractional owner of this bigger entity. Well, it's hard for many brands to think beyond the next week or two, 
Grog says they should start planning for re-entry once lockdowns begin to lift, because that's likely when the full brunt of the virus's negative economic impact will become apparent. To this, he advises them to look back on consumer behavior during the Great Recession and consider what worked and didn't work for companies in 2008 and 2009. Brands and business owners in general should be thoughtfully advocating for an intelligent reopening of segments of the economy um, because the deeper, the longer this goes and the more lockdown it is, the more uh, businesses of various types are going to close and are not going to come back and that's going to deepen the recession. So I'm not, I'm not taking any kind of political stance or anything there, but, um, you know, certainly uh, getting people back to work, whether it's in your industry or any industry, it, it becomes important to what the depth of the recession is going to look like. Um, you know, I think if you look back again 12 years or so, we saw a short-term dip in uh, organic and premium, but then they actually rebounded pretty well, and people looked to food as an affordable luxury. And, um, you know, there was certainly some shifts there. It's a bad time to be sort of that number three brand on the shelf. You want to be either premium where people go, yeah, you know what, I, I gave up my vacation, but I'm going to buy better cookies or better bread or whatever, um, or you want to be the price brand uh, or you want to be the, the main brand everybody knows. You know, you don't want to fall into the gray zone of being sort of the second tier brand. Um, so I do think there's some hope for premium and uh, luxury-ish brands and for the high end uh, to be that affordable uh, luxury for, for people. Um, you know, I think this is different as well because the impact of this pandemic is different than normal recession so far. But as we come out of this in six, eight, 12 months, it'll become a little bit more of a normal recession, hopefully not a full-blown depression. Um, and I think when you think about that, we can learn from, you know, 10, 12 years ago about how things played out. Um, it's important to have strong branding. It's important to have strong positioning. All the fundamentals, you know, you should be there. And it's a good time to really be thinking about um, what you're delivering to your your uh, customer, uh, meaning the retailer, and then also to your consumer and um, meeting them where they are. And embrace comfort if that's what you're about or embrace, embrace health or embrace uh, indulgence um, and really uh, stand for something. We are all living in the now, um, but there, the future is coming and it always comes faster than we think. Um, so I do think, you know, hopefully by now everybody has their emergency plan in place and in action and rolling and they should be investing some time and energy into their exit plan, their re-entry plan, as people are calling it. Um, and I, I still don't see and hear as much of that as I would like to. Um, and I think that's, you know, navigating the now. And a lot of brands are just thrilled because their sales are up and they're, um, you know, they're, they're benefiting uh, from, the, from people eating at home. But their long-term strategy is, you know, is messy or, or unformed and or uninformed by what the new normal might look like. So I think there's this is time to be shifting gears a little bit too. That said, before a company can navigate a potential recession, it needs to survive the current pandemic.
which is why Grog advises founders and executives to continue to be on the defensive and ready for anything in the next four weeks. As he mentioned, this includes having extra inventory, following the news and being ready to move quickly, and focusing on nuts and bolts rather than promotions. With that, we've reached the end of another episode of Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast. I hope you'll join me again next week for another installment. And to ensure that you remember, please subscribe to us on iTunes. Until next time, this is Elizabeth Crawford wishing you a productive, profitable, and safe week. <music>